Knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner. Like, He's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I am Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn. And periodically, we like to do a question and answer episode just because questions will come in. A, A lot of you listeners write in and say, hey, can you talk about this? And sometimes it's things that are great for a full episode. And sometimes it's things that are great for our question and answer episodes. It's not, maybe not something for a full episode. In fact, uh, we'll be doing an episode soon on Hebrew Roots because somebody messaged us and said, can you please do an episode on Hebrew Roots? And so we do that. And so mm. to our listeners, email us at theologygals at gmail.com if you ever have topic suggestions because we can get a lot of great topic suggestions from our listeners. So we're grateful for that. So Angela, you doing all right tonight? <laughs> I sure am. <laughs> I'm like, I got to bring Angela in here. Yes, and do all the talking. I am. Oh boy, it has been, I feel like I've lived a lot of life in the past couple of days. Yesterday morning, I was taking um, one of my kids to school And I got in a car accident uh, less than a block from my house on the way to school. Oh, no. Yes. It's exactly how to start your day. (laughs) It's what everyone... Everyone's okay, though? (laughs) Yes. Everyone is okay. Um, The wonderful part about this is that I just bought this car three weeks ago. So, (laughs) Um, yeah. And is it... Is it going to be something fixable? Well, I just uh, went today to the shop to meet with the insurance adjuster, and um, it is going to be fixable. However, it uh, they wouldn't let me leave with the car. I thought that I was going to drive home in my car and just keep it until they ordered the parts and got them in. And they said, oh, you can't leave. Uh, this is do not drive. <laughs> Oh, wow. They give you a rental car? Um, They got us home. um, And uh, since we own two cars, and both of our cars have car seats, and uh, my husband happens to be out of town on a business trip that's going to last about a week, and it's going to take about a week for my car to get fixed. And they told me that they can start work on it immediately. So it is perfect timing. I mean, you know, 
no one wants to have these sorts of things happen. Um, however, I was just thankful for the Lord's provision that, you know, we do have insurance. I'm thankful for that. Um, we have money available to pay the deductible, and I'm thankful for that. And the timing has worked out. I do have another vehicle to drive that has car seats so my kids can be in it. And they're going to fix my car even before my husband gets home from his trip, probably. So, as far as going through something irritating and difficult, it, it is working out about as easily as I could ask for. So I'm so thankful for that. Praise God for his um, provision and keeping us safe and caring for us even in the annoying little details of day to day. So We uh, bought a brand new car about a month after we got married. I didn't have a vehicle because um, prior to us getting married, my employer provided a vehicle. And so we needed a new vehicle. And I would, I don't buy new cars now, um, buy a little used, but we were young and maybe not super wise. And so we bought this brand new car. And it was a stick shift. So we were in a parking lot five days after we bought it. It was going to be my car. But my husband, you know, when the two of us are together, you know, to this day, he does the driving. So he'd never driven a stick shift. So we went mm. to like a big parking lot. Um, and I'm teaching him how to drive a stick shift. And he is doing really well. And some lady cuts straight through the parking lot. It's like nine at night and just sideswipes us. Mm. And so <laughs> and that was a big mess. And then she says to us, Please, please, please don't call insurance if I get in one more accident. <gasps> and we listened, and uh, it was just a big mess. She, uh, we took the, we took the car to our mechanic, and he wrote up a list of everything that needed to be done to fix the car. And she rewrote the list and sent it back to him with a new estimate. Oh, <laughs> he wow. calls us and says, who is this lady? <laughs> and we told her, we can call insurance if you'd prefer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, no, 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 wow. no, no. I'll pay it. And she had a convertible Mercedes. Wow. So, um, but she wanted to, she said, well, they don't need this and they don't need this. And, you know. Anyways, it was, it was lots of, <laughs> lots of fun. Wow. Imagine being this much of an expert at getting into car accidents. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm certainly glad that this is not a common experience for me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't think I've uh, been in an accident since then that, mm. that I can recall. So that's, that's good. I don't think I, in my recollection, I don't think I've ever been been in an accident when I was driving. Mm. I have a couple of other times, but both of the other times, uh, the last time I was in a car accident was probably around 10 years ago. And both of the other times that I have been in car accidents when I was driving, I was just in the middle of a larger multi-car pileup during rush hour traffic. That happened to me two different times. Ooh, so, that's not fun. Yes, very irritating because... Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to tell our listeners just because in the event you hear some background noise, my dog is sitting with me because um, I'm at my parents' house right now recording. And so I keep her in the room I'm staying in. And um, the the reason I'm at my parents' house is is because we have to get some things fixed 
in our home. So I'm over here. And so usually I put the dog out, but I don't trust her mm. <laughs> to be at my parents' house. We so. trust Jersey to be an honorary theology gal's That's co-host. right. But she may bark. Or <laughs> well, we've got <laughs> some knows? good questions today. She may have something to add. That's right. She's trying to climb on top of the computer right now. Um, so if for those who don't know, I have a Boston Terrier named Jersey. I didn't name her, actually. Um, my best friend, she used to breed Boston Terriers. And she called me one day and said, I want to give you a dog. And she's just been a great companion for me. And But she, she likes to be touched like 24 seven, she has to be like up next to me all the time. And, um, should we say she has, she has no personal space and she has boundary <laughs> issues. So Jersey, right? she's, no means she's no, girl. under my arm. That's right. <laughs> um, so, you know, this first question, I know that we have people in this situation, um, but she wanted to, us to talk about, She's in a situation where her husband is in a job and he misses church every other month or so. And um, her husband is a police officer. And so, you know, things like a police officer, a nurse, there are, are positions that are works of necessity and mercy. And police officer is definitely one of those things. But you can imagine, Angela, you know, and the on the rare times that your husband's gone over a Sunday, it's a lot of work going to church with you and the kids, mm, you know, yeah. and not having your husband there to, um, to help out with that. And I think what she really wanted us to talk about is how to grow together spiritually. You know, she doesn't have her husband there every other month with her at church and she really wants some input and, um, some wisdom on how she can grow with her husband spiritually. Well, I think that um, a couple things come to my mind, of course, praying together daily um, and family worship. Um, those things come to my mind. I would also wonder if it would be possible that if their church has an evening service to go to a different service together. Or, you know, I know that we have a lot of uh, ladies in our group who go to um, larger churches that may may have a midweek service. If there's some other kind of service that they could go to together, I would suggest that too. But um, really, you know, prayer together, reading the word together, family worship, that would be my suggestion. You know, we've always done family worship. And so before we had children, we would, we started out just um, reading through the Bible, and then we would read the table talk uh, devotionals. If you aren't, for those who aren't familiar, that's a devotional through Ligonier, and I think you can even get it right on your phone or tablet now too. And we would read through those together, and then read. They had a read through the Bible in a year that went along with Table Talk. And there's a lot of, even if you don't have a lot of time, there's a lot of short devotionals. There's times that my husband and I have done Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, or just done the evening, and we'll read it together before bed and pray. And so I, I think something that you do on a daily basis like that um, really, really is a um, spiritual, a time of, of growing together spiritually. Absolutely. So I think things like that, you know, I know 
I should probably mention real quick, family worship. I know that uh, we've had people say, can you talk about family worship? And and really, we, we really did cater family worship to the children. We kind of looked at it as a practice for church worship. Mm, and mm-hmm. so it's time for the kids to sit and listen. And, you know, if you if you don't do family worship, I, it doesn't have to be long and extensive mm. for when our kids got older, we probably did a little bit more. We would sing um, a psalm or hymn and go over whatever catechism questions the kids were doing and maybe talk about that. And as they got older, we read through the Bible. And, you know, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be hard or difficult. It's it it can be very simple. And, you know, when if you don't have children, just finding even if it's just right before bed. Uh, even if it's a devotional that takes five minutes, I I think that that can be helpful. And, you know, I would add, too, that, um, you know, if you're doing um, family worship and you have kids and you are catering that to the kids, um, I think it can be helpful for couples who um, want are wanting to grow further together to spend time themselves, even after the kids are in bed or um, just different time. Uh, listening to a podcast or um, reading the word together or, um, you know, reading a book together and having something to discuss together that is um, sort of driving the the conversation so that you don't have so many things going on that you feel like you have to plan a lesson for and that sort of thing. I think it can be very helpful to couples to just spend time together together talking about what are you learning right now? What are you studying? What are you reading? Yeah, that's a great idea, Angela, because a lot of times my husband and I at night, that's what we'll talk about, you know, something we're reading and learning and things like that. So I I think if you get in the habit of it, it just becomes part of your life to discuss these things. Or, um, Or maybe if, you know, if your church records the sermon, even if your husband can't be there, he's able to listen to it and then you guys talk about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we have a lot of a lot of gals in our group and this one came from our group. We have a lot of gals in our group that are newer to reformed theology especially um the ecclesiology and and just the church government and so someone asked what is the difference between a teaching and a ruling elder? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, in um, in my denomination, um, PCA, we do have teaching elders and ruling elders. And the way that I understand the difference, a teaching elder is ordained and licensed to preach the word in the gathered assembly, and um, a ruling elder is not. And I, I, the way that I understand this as well is that there are ordination exams that um, a teaching elder will have to take. And um, I do think that a ruling elder is examined as well, but the, the level of examination is very, very different. So this is from the OPC um, church website, and I don't know how the PCA and the OPC are different. There are some small differences, but on this site, it says in the Presbyterian churches, both ruling and teaching elders are ordained, that is, they are specially set apart for holy duties. Although it's what a teaching elder goes through um, is is very different than what a ruling elder. He's, he goes to, to seminary and he's examined 
um, theologically a lot more than a ruling elder would be. Um, and it says we believe in parity or equality of the eldership. Sometimes ruling elders do ex- exhort the people from the word and teaching elders regularly participate in gover- governing the congregation. But a teaching elder specifically, um, he, he's a minister of the word. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times the ruling el- elders are just um, right from among the laity. They're not, um, they're not paid. They uh, didn't go to seminary. And um, so they teach teach the word of God. It's usually often their full time jobs. Sometimes you have bivocational teaching elders too in smaller churches or church plants. And it's it, has it been different for you? I don't know what kind of church governments that you were accustomed to, Angela, before becoming reformed. Um, before becoming reformed, um, we were always at. Baptist churches that would have been independent never um, we for a time were a part of an x twenty nine church so you know that's a part of a network but still the churches are autonomous and independent and so um, there was not this distinction of teaching elder and ruling elder I don't recall ever having been to a church before um, being at a reformed church. I don't recall ever having been at a church before this that required this level of ordination to be what we call a teaching elder. Um, Certainly, many of the pastors that I have been under have a seminary education, but the kind of ordination where you're being examined against a standard for your theology uh, by a a group who is also already ordained against the same standard. That's very, very different than in autonomous Baptist churches, especially the ones that I've been in. From my experience, it's much more like the church itself may come up with a search committee. Maybe they've got their statement of faith, and they're just going to interview this pastoral candidate, and you're going to be hired or not hired. Um, And then as far as elders go, it is up to the you know, honestly, most of the churches I've ever been in, you know, to become an elder, it's, hey, this Sunday we're nominating elders, put somebody's name in the offering plate if you think that they are a good candidate. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, the names are in the bulletin, and it is, hey, everybody, here's the names that are up for elder. If you know any reason why they uh, are not qualified based on the qualifications in the scripture, let somebody know. And then another few weeks go by, and then it's, hey, we haven't heard anybody object to these guys, so now we're going to vote on their names. And so, in effect, it becomes that, in general, the congregation comes up with the names and determines they seem qualified according to the Scripture. And I'm not saying that no conversations ever go on behind the scenes, but it's not anything like the ordination process in a Reformed church. So... um, I would say it's very, very different and in a way that I very much appreciate. And the other thing I'll mention if um, in, in Presbyterian churches, the, the elders, which includes the teaching and ruling elders, is, is called the session. And in Reformed, um, I, I think most Reformed, it's called the consistory. So, you know, that is the group of elders. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I... I love that in the Presbyterian Church, if I want to pick a book for women's Bible study, I submit it 
to the elders mm-hmm. and they look it over. I don't just say, you know, we're going to read uh, such and such book and and I'm going to choose. But anything that, that I do, the Sunday school curriculum has been approved by them. Whatever we do in Bible study has been approved by them. So they they take it very, very serious. And elder visits. So generally speaking, it's been different depending on the Presbyterian church that I'm in. But generally speaking, every six months, uh, I know like one church that I was in, uh, one of the six months, one of the elders would come and visit with us. And then the other of the six months, the pastor would come. And we, we saw him all the time otherwise, but this was a formal meeting and uh, they would find out how we were doing spiritually find out how our marriage was doing, things going on in the church. And I mean, they they really took that very serious. This is a good question, but I, and that is what does speaking the truth in love sound like? And one thing I'm thinking of is we talked a little bit about that on our faith in the internet episode, and maybe a little bit on our discernment episode. Mm. But what does, I, I have this quote from Ryle, Truth without love is barbarity, but love without truth is cruelty. I mm. happen to read that today. <laughs> so what does speaking the truth in love sound like? Now, now let me say, I think that in right now, a lot of times people think that uh, if you say something that's contrary to someone else, then it's not loving. But but that right. isn't true, is it? The, right. That the only way of expressing love is agreement, is rubber stamping someone else's beliefs or theology or whatever it is that they want to do. Um, it's interesting, though, this phrase, speaking the truth in love, um, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, um, this is where the phrase is coming from, starting in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Um, and that is being set in opposition to something you know, that phrase started with but, but speaking the truth in love. Okay, so what are we speaking the truth in love instead of doing what? As uh, So backing up to verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So it's very interesting. The context of this speaking the truth in love is talking about don't be tossed around by all of this false doctrine that's out there. Don't be um, blown about by wind when people are bringing up all of this stuff that is, um, you know, troubling you, false doctrine. Instead, Grow up into Christ. How are we doing that? Speaking the truth in love. So there is a very clear aspect here that speaking the truth in love is gently, in a caring way, correcting when false theology or when bad ideas about God, when um, incorrect interpretations of the scripture um, are being thrown about. Um, Speaking the truth in love involves correction. So it's not just speaking in love, Mm -hmm. it's also speaking the truth in love. And I seem to remember on a previous episode, 
and it, it probably was this passage, and you said something like, so basically this means grow up. Yes, that was our <laughs> discernment episode. And it is amazing, honestly, researching for that episode, I was, it kind of blew me away to find out how many times in the epistles it is said, we're directly told, grow up, grow up. Right. And you know what, guys? That made it into the scripture there. That's that's a version of speaking the truth in love right there. Grow up. And so I guess what I'm saying is that sometimes there are hard things that need to be said, and just ignoring them and not saying them, that's not love. We are told to speak the truth. Go on and say it. Say what needs to be said, but do it in a loving, gentle, kind, fruitful manner so that we can grow up into Christ. You know, um, I can I can tell you as a mom to some young adult sons that <laughs> sometimes it's loving for me to say, time to grow up. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, I have very young children, and <laughs> they're on their way. Yes. So I understand. Well, and even young, even young children. Yeah. You know, if you're if your child is seven years old, you want them to behave. Like a seven-year-old. That's right. I mean, a, not not a five-year-old. Like, time to tie your own shoes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, grow up does not mean necessarily, hey, you're three, I need you to be an adult right now in the next five minutes. But there's a process, and it's a long process. But growing up is continually happening, and it's happening, and it's happening, and it's happening. So, you know, there's a lot of speaking the truth in love that's happening, and the result is meant to be that we grow up into Christ. Not that I won the argument, okay? So speaking the truth in love is not about scoring my points, winning the argument, right. uh, making sure that that person knew your theology is wrong, brother. It's not about that. It is for us to grow up into Christ, into our head. Um, it's it's about becoming more mature and more like him. Um, and when that is the goal that is in our sight, when that is our focus, it the, the the speaking in love part becomes so much easier. And and I think too, when we are confronting someone or maybe we're exposing false doctrine, why are we doing it? Um, like Angela was saying, not it's not to one up somebody. It's, it's because we love the Lord and His truth, and we ought to love our, our neighbor also. I, I think 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 kind of gives us a good rule of thumb. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses. And so gentleness and kindness and and praying for um, someone's repentance. Mm, yes, very much. That's so important. So this is a question, and I we may have even, I can't remember if we addressed this on another uh, question answer episode or not, or on some other episode, but it comes in quite a bit and really has to do with when do I leave a church? But but more specifically, you know, if I'm reformed now, I've reformed in my theology, should I leave my church that isn't reformed? And I know you at some point had to make that decision, Angela. Yeah, we did. Um, in fact, so 
uh, as we were studying and becoming more convinced of um, really all of Reformed theology, we had been Calvinist for years and years, but um, didn't really know about the full orb of Reformed theology, um, historic Reformed theology, confessional theology. We didn't know about any of that. And as we began to study more and more and become more and more convinced, um you know, God was gracious to us that we were already in a transition time with um, what we were involved with as church at the time. It was a very small home group um, that, you know, now with my understanding of the marks of a true church, I would say is not a church. Um, and so God was gracious to us in that um, as we were convinced of Reformed theology, it just became very easy to see that we could not stay where we were, because uh, we could not support um, the idea that this was a church. Um, I will say, though, you know, that I have seen times where we have had friends in our group, uh, in the Theology Gals Ladies Group, talk about um, becoming Reformed, and they are at a church that's not Reformed, and there's not a lot of other options available, and their church does preach the true gospel, and their husband loves the church, and they are connected there, and they have friends, and they can um, they can support the church and stay there peacefully. and And I think that that it's possible to consider that and to stay. That you know we're going to stay here and we can be here peacefully. But then you have to make the decision that we are not going to undermine the church's leadership. Um, we are going to stay here in in unity to the extent that we can, and we are not going to willfully teach against the church's leadership. And I do think that sometimes that's going to become harder and harder over time. It may bother your conscience more and more. And as you've made that switch, then it may become appropriate, uh, especially, you know, um, we have a lot of married women in our group. You know, if you and your husband agree that w- we um, are not on the same page theologically with our church anymore, and it's just bothering our conscience too much, then that might be a great time and a great catalyst to speak to your elders and just say, um, you know, our theological understanding has changed, and there are some some primary points of doctrine that we disagree with on. So we're going to take this opportunity to go look for a reformed church. And that, that might be the right course of action to take. Yeah. I uh, had moved to Chicago and I was a new Calvinist and, but I wasn't reformed. And so I was visiting churches at the time when I became reformed. Now you were new to Calvinism or you were a new Calvinist? Not a new Calvinist, <laughs> not a new Calvinist, not young, restless, and reformed, right, right, I, right, 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 That's what yeah, I, was I know what you're saying now, <laughs> new to Calvinism, yes, I was new to embracing Calvinism, I didn't know what Reformed theology was at that point, um, I didn't really know what Reformed meant, mm. but I I moved to Chicago, I, I was trying out churches, I've been in the Evangelical Free Church my whole life, so I tried out like three of them, and um, ended up meeting someone, and who invited me to a party where I met my husband and he introduced me to the white horse Inn. and as soon as I knew what reformed was, I'm looking for a reformed church. And so I wasn't in for me, it was very easy because I was still in the process of looking for a church. And so I'm just going to look for a reformed church, but we have a lot of people that have been in the same church for years. And, and just like you were talking about, uh, you know, decide we need to just stay here for now. And sometimes that's the right decision. Um, uh, 
I think just depending on where you're at in your studies, I think also, especially to us women, this is something that um, you may need to respect your husband's decision on. And I've had gals message me say, I really don't want to go to this church anymore, but my husband um, thinks we should stay for a while. And I say, well, if there's no heresy or anything like that, then it sounds like you need to respect that decision. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one thing that you don't do if you decide to stay at your church um, is, you know, you've just become convinced of the five points of Calvinism, and you are at an IFB, and you are really excited about Calvinism, and you think, I am going to show all of these people that Calvinism is the way, and let the elders know that they're wrong, and um, try to refute, um, you know, the pastor at the Wednesday night Bible study. Um, you don't stay there and cause strife. Um, you stay there if you can stay in peace. You are still under the authority of your church leadership, um, regardless of where of where you're at. Hey, this is Pete Orta, former guitar player for the Grammy award-winning Christian rock band Petra. I'd like to invite you to my new podcast called Christian Conversations Unfiltered. This channel is much different than my sermon podcast. The episodes are intimate conversations with people who I enjoy about topics that I can't really unbox from the pulpit. Each episode is unproduced, unedited, and unapologetic. Conversations that might not only help you answer some relevant questions you might be struggling with, but also help create some questions in your head that you might not have even ever thought of. The purpose of this podcast is to help people apply their theology while broadening their biblical worldview. So go to PeteOrta.com, that's P-E-T-E-O-R-T-A.com, and click subscribe to podcast, and then choose what podcast you'd like to hear, if not both, and what platform works best for you. Can't wait for you to join us. God bless. So we got this question just this week, and it came in to our Theology Gals Facebook page. You can message us on there too if if you're not an email person. And this is something that uh, both of us didn't know a lot about and we've looked into it a little bit. And she wanted us to talk about Dallas Willard and spiritual formation. And since this was kind of a new, I've heard of it, but I just really, it was one of those things that I'd heard about it, but I never really paid much attention. And so I thought it would be helpful to read some of what I found about it. Um, so one of the one of the descriptions is that spiritual formation, it's the mystical practice of listening inwardly for God's voice for specific guidance, approbation, confirmation, and such. And I have a quote from Dallas Willard. Spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human being, the heart, which is the same as the spirit or will. It is being formed, really transformed, in such a way that is its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. And I'll read just a couple more. Spiritual formation is a process, but it is also a journey through which we open our hearts to a deeper connection with God. 
We are not bystanders in our spiritual lives. We are active participants with God who is ever inviting us into a relationship with him. So what does this make you think of? Oh boy, didn't we do a whole episode on mysticism? That is exactly what this is. It is mysticism, plain and simple. And you know, it's the Dallas Willard site talks about transforming and, uh, you know, how you're going to do these spiritual practices and those are going to transform you. Let me tell you what the, the Word of God says about being transformed. This is Romans 12, 2 through 4. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. The practices of mysticism are being conformed to the world. That is not anything that we find in the Word of God, that we are to transform ourselves by these particular spiritual practices. Um, And, you know, I really, I know, Colleen, you and I were discussing this earlier um, before we started recording. Like so many things, this has a feel of Gnosticism to me, that if you um, will do these, these steps, you will get some secret inner knowledge, you know, turn this crank, flip this switch, and there you go, you've got some secret inner knowledge, you're, you're being spiritually transformed. I, the difficulty here is, how, how do you know that you're being successful? It's just like in um, the listening prayer and the contemplative prayer, when you're supposed to be hearing God's voice, what happens when you don't? And then you are discouraged, and now you're wondering, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you is nothing. Christian, go to the Word of God, not these transformational practices. The other thing is, there um, today... There are a lot of spiritual exercises that are not connected to Christianity, and they may or may not be connected to a belief in God. And so some of these more secular or new age spiritual practices are very, very similar to these spiritual practices that are being connected to Christianity. And that's Mm. very concerning because they are not grounded in the Word of God. They're grounded in experience. I mean, ultimately, Absolutely. It's funny that you just said grounded and grounding. I was just thinking as you were talking about sort of exercise and um, secular practices, I was thinking of one that I've heard of called grounding that has to do with the idea that if you go outside and walk barefoot and put your bare, the bare soles of your feet in contact directly with the ground, you are, you know, the earth, you are being spiritually grounded and there is some spiritual benefit here to that. I mean that it's it's quite pagan and I have seen that being adopted in some Christian circles as a spiritual practice. This is mysticism. It's not from the word of God. And I'll link our mysticism episode. I would also encourage um, listening to our discernment episode, if you haven't, because mm. it's so important for us to understand that the Word of God is the foundation for everything that we believe in, in our Christian life and our Christian faith and practice. And I don't see anything in Scripture that's um, calling me to spiritual formation as it's being described here. I agree. This was kind of something that I have heard of a, a gal in our group asked us about it. She said that there is a church 
that is near her home that advertises something called Big G Yoga. Now, I had never heard of Big G Yoga. And so from my research, what I kind of learned is that Big G Yoga is kind of Big God um, mm. Yoga. And it's it really is... Um, Christian yoga is what it is. And we're not going to talk about yoga specifically, whether Christians should do yoga. That, that's not really um, what this is about. But but we're going to talk about this Christian yoga. And this one specifically, it says the big G is God, the creator of life. And come join our unique yoga experience that aims to transform our hearts and bless communities through mindful worship on the mat. Mm. And reading this website a lot of it is talking about mindful worship as in every other facebook post it's mindful worship mindful worship it seems that um they're they use music and maybe maybe reading of of some passages and so what do you think about this oh wow well i think that there are aspects of this that connect very well with our last question that um this is creating an experience that is meant to stir something in me emotionally um, that will then be called worship. Just like you said, in, in most of these posts, the words worship mindfully or mindful worship is going on. And, you know, mindfulness even is a practice that has much in common with mysticism. So that's why I say it's connected a little with our last question. But Going a different direction with this, you know, one of the posts that I saw on the Big G Yoga page says, come worship mindfully with us tonight. And there is a photograph of a large cross on a patio outdoors. I think this is where the yoga is going to take place. And there is one person um, kneeling before the very large cross doing a yoga pose towards the cross. And... Um, so they are billing this as worship. And so one of my objections to this would be that, you know, worship is something that God commands us um, to do in the gathered assembly, but he commands us specifically on what it is that he wants and desires as our worship and that that regulates what we bring to him in worship. We, he is not to be worshipped according to the designs of men and our imaginations and things that we come up with. And yoga is certainly one of those things. So I would say that yoga is absolutely not um, a, a part of, it, it should not be a part of the um, worship at a church. And I'm even thinking back to our mysticism episode when we talked about some of the Christian mysticism practices even involve um, being on the floor mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. doing having your body in a certain um, not, maybe not pose isn't the right word, but you know. And once again, this really reminds me of people that I've met that say I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And they'll say I don't belong to a church. They may or may not believe in God. Um, because people will even use spiritual in a secular way that is that it's their own spiritual experience, not it just separate from any any sort of deity. And I, again, this reminds me of of things that 
um, yoga can be a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's connected to a false religion, um, can be connected to a false religion. I think you said earlier, Angela, that um, yoga has not cornered the market on all poses, you know, and stretching. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but but you're taking something and, I mean, it, yoga in its um, purest form is worship, um, or is intended to be worship of a false god, right? And and so now we're we're taking things and we're Christianizing them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and making it worship in. And the Lord has never told us that worship that we are to worship in different poses. Right, exactly. You know, it's uh, uh, we were talking just a few minutes ago about grounding and. Um, the this particular big G yoga has posts about grounding. And so I'm just thinking about this yoga and grounding and all of these different practices that are pagan and they are being mixed with a Christian church. And what that is called syncretism. It's um, taking something that is um, sort of a false religion and mixing it with Christianity and, you know, trying to pick and choose and pull things in. And that is uh, not a good practice for us. Um, Grounding is not a Christian practice. Um, Yoga is not a form of Christian worship that can be Christianized. Um, And again, we're talking about offering this as worship to God it's very different than talking about whether or not I can stretch in a certain position, and um, that's not what we're discussing here. We're talking about intentionally offering yoga as worship to God and billing this as Christian. I I don't think that that can be done. I don't think that we can call yoga Christian. And I think we need to be very careful because, unfortunately— there are so many practices in the church today that you can trace back to mysticism. Mm. And so this just really is a good time to remind everyone the importance of discernment in all things connected to our faith and practice and going back to the Word of God and being sure that that what we do, what we practice in regards to our faith, what we believe in regards to our faith needs to be in the Word of God. That needs to be the foundation for all of that. Absolutely. So we got this last question just came in this week. Um, I got a lot of questions this week I hadn't even said outside of, I don't think I'd even said in the group we're doing a Q&A, but happened to get um, some questions this week. But we have a gal and she wanted us to discuss um, understanding evangelism in view of Calvinism. And um, I think this is something we hear a lot from Arminians. Mm. Well, if God chose some people, elected some and not others, then why evangelize? And I think probably that's, that's really what we're answering. Yeah. So why do we evangelize if the Lord is already chosen and he's going to give faith to who he gives faith to. We just, do we even need to tell anyone about Jesus? Um, well, yeah. Won't God just zap them and then they're just suddenly saved? Um, I <laughs> have all knowledge yeah, of the gospel. That's how I remember it happening to me. 
Um, Well, I mean, the reason that this is a great question, because I feel like it has so many good answers, multiple good answers to this question. Um, First of all, we're commanded to evangelize. Um, Second of all, I evangelize because I love my neighbor and I want my neighbor to hear the gospel. We evangelize because God uses means. He doesn't just zap us and one second we're not saved and the next second we're saved. Um, He uses the means of the gospel being proclaimed. Um, You know, those when we are called, when we've been regenerated and our heart is able to hear and understand the gospel now, we have to hear and understand the gospel. <laughs> That's part of the part of the equation. That's one of the steps that happens. So um, we don't want to take that out of the equation. And what a privilege it is to be a part of how it happens. You know, I, it is a wonderful, joyous thought to think that the Lord used my parents to share the gospel with me, and I am saved because of hearing the gospel from my parents. Um, and I... I can be a part of that for someone else. What a privilege. I I don't know why we wouldn't want to evangelize. And not only does the Lord ordain who will be saved, but he ordains the means by which they will come to salvation. And Romans 10.13 says, How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And so the Lord has ordained the means by which people come to salvation. And it is also obedience to God. We are told to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so that's part of our sanctification is um, in living in gratitude to the Lord for what he's done for us is obeying him. And I think because we we know that the Lord has a sovereign plan for bringing his people to himself. Um, I would say one thing that was a huge weight off my shoulders is when I had been in an Arminian church um, for part of my teenage years, very Arminian, I really felt like the weight of the world's salvation was on my shoulders. Mm. I needed to know good enough evidential apologetics so I could talk people into believing. Mm. And if if I was giving them all the reasons, I had a, a Jewish friend and I had given him all of the reasons and he still wasn't believing. And so maybe I just wasn't explaining it well. And that was on my shoulders. I needed to keep sharing and convincing him that he needed to come to Christ. And um, I would still share the gospel, even as a Calvinist, I would still share the gospel with him with the same vigor, but I would also have confidence that the Lord will bring people, bring his own people to salvation um, when he has chosen to do that. And we have a friend that shares the gospel everywhere he goes, <laughs> and he he shared it with um, with somebody once, and it was someone in they were in business with, and he didn't see that person for three years, and the person didn't come to Christ, and and our friend would say, "Oh, we share the gospel, I almost never see someone come to Christ," um, but he left a track with this gentleman, and he sees him a few years later, and the guy says, "Guess what? After you shared the gospel with me, um, all these things happened. The guy came to Christ, had just joined a church, and so you know you never." even know how the Lord may use you sharing the gospel, even if you don't see that person come to Christ right then. Mm, amen. I I would also 
throw out that if you want to hear what Calvinists think about sharing the gospel, give our episode on evangelism a listen. Um, It's one of my favorite Theology Gals episodes um, because it was one of the earliest ones that I was on with you, Colleen. And what I love about it is that we um, talk about what the gospel is and um, clearly uh, give a gospel presentation in that episode. And um, because of that, it's always been one of my favorites. But, you know, we we do have, I, it, just like you said, Colleen, for me, understanding that um, the work is up to God, He saves who He saves, and all I have to do is be faithful to tell what the gospel is, to share it with my friend, and it's up to the Lord to work in their heart. It just takes the weight off. It's not on me anymore. It's not about, did I use the right words? Did I make the right presentation? I remember growing up um, and hearing in um, certain kinds of uh, church environments, talking about evangelism, they would say, you know, how many people have you led to Christ in the last month, in the last year? If it's, you know, zero or one or two, you need to question whether you're really doing what you should be doing. And the underlying premise there is that if you're doing what you are should be doing, then your personal numbers should be high. And the truth is that it is up to the Lord, and the fruit is up to the Lord, and who is called is up to the Lord, and my responsibility is just to faithfully share the gospel with those that I meet, with those whom the Lord brings into my path, and the result is up to Him. I even, uh, I have had Mormons in my life from the time that I had a Mormon pen pal in elementary school that I shared the gospel with at that point, and then in high school when I'd spend my lunch hours going around and sharing the gospel with Mormons, and I had a really good Mormon friend that's now a bishop, um, and we were in the high school singing group together. And I was so sad. I didn't go to our high school reunion. And so when one of my classmates called me and she said, he was asking about you and he's now a Mormon bishop. But you know what? I also know that he's heard the gospel mm. and I still will pray for him that the Lord will use that and maybe bring other Christians into his life. And my next door neighbor is also a Mormon and I've shared the gospel with her multiple times and I will continue. And I, I do pray at some point. And, and that's, I have peace that I know that the Lord will work his will. I, I know that he will do that his will in his time. And, you know, it's the same with our children, too, mm. because I can tell you, you can preach the gospel to your children every day of their lives, but it is still the Lord's work um, if and when they come to Christ. Amen. I didn't write this one down, but now that I just said that, I'm going to end with this one. Somebody had asked in our group, how do you deal with understanding Calvinism, but also with the realization that maybe your children won't come to Christ. How do you how do you deal with that? And that's a very real situation that I'm in. I mean, my oldest son just is an atheist, as atheistic as one can be. He he loves reading all the big name atheists and debating me and I have so much peace about it, which I know um, 
might be difficult to understand, but it was because it's because I know that salvation is of the Lord. And um, yes, it's very difficult having a child that doesn't know the Lord. Absolutely. But I am, I just have so much comfort knowing that the Lord is good. The Lord is faithful. The Lord loves me. And I know that, um, that whatever the Lord has chosen is, is good and right. Mm. And I, and I have peace that, um, you know, I, I could, I could go to be with the Lord and my son could still be an atheist, but the Lord could work in his life later on. And the Lord has um, a perfect purpose for whatever his perfect will is. So that probably didn't really offer much encouragement, but I do find comfort in who the Lord is. I think that is really the only the only encouragement that we can hope for. So, yeah, I think that was very encouraging. Well, um, hopefully some of these were helpful. We have uh, some some good episodes coming up. I know I promised this a while ago and just timing didn't work out, but Ashley is going to come back and do an episode with us. So All the so theology gals together. Look out, world. And I'm not... <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what the topic is, but it's good. I will only tell you it's good. <laughs> You're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Might get some criticism for that one, but I, I'm excited to have the three of us uh, discussing a really important, but also uh, fun topic. I think it'll be fun too. I so too. Um, hopefully in the next few weeks and... Okay, we have another special guest. I'm not going to say who it is, but she'll be on in the next few weeks. But this is just a very, very special guest. And we're going to be talking about celebrity preachers with Mm. uh, the perfect guest to discuss (laughs) celebrity preachers with. (laughs) I'll just say that. We got to leave them hanging a little bit, Angela. That's right. It's a a secret. Stay so, tuned. Well, and if you if you do have any topic suggestions, please email us at theologygals at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on Twitter or through our Facebook page. You can message us there. We we love um, getting topic ideas. And if you have a question that you want for our next question and answer episode, um, send those in too because we, we enjoy doing the question and answer episodes. Mm, yeah, so. it's a lot of fun. Well, we will see you next week.